Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of the Brighton Rock podcast. With me, Russell Guyver, going solo in the presenting stakes tonight. Peter is off um, with his other half doing something. Naughty, naughty, maybe. Um, but I have got a, uh, another debutante to the show coming on. Um, good mate uh, for the West Upper and also a friend to the Albion Roar. Some people will know him from that. It's Mr. Andy Bass. How are you, Andy? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks for having me on, Russell. It's been, I've really enjoyed listening to your, uh, to your series so far. It's been uh, excellent listening. Oh, brilliant. Well, thanks very much indeed. Um, we've certainly enjoyed doing it. I'm glad, um, glad people are enjoying listening to our inane ramblings, um, which is great. <laughs> um, it's really a pleasure to get you on because whenever I've heard you on the Raw, and I think we've been on the Raw once together as well, yeah. um, always give value. I think you, you give some good insight, I think, some, some perceptive points. And a little bit off the um, off the usual track as well. You know, you make some points away from the, the obvious, which is great to hear. So maybe we'll get some of those later on today. Um, but it's a pleasure to have you on. Um, so thanks for joining us. What we're going to do, as always, with anyone coming on, is to sort of ask you really about um, how you came to be an Albion fan, when and where, and where you're from, your background, all of that stuff. So how did it all start for you with football? And how did it all start with the Albion? Um, well, with the, well, you know, as maybe if people have heard me on the Raw, they'll, they'll know um, I'm not originally from Brighton. Um, I'm actually from, you know, vague, not that far from where you are in North London. So, um, so originally yeah. from Barnet. Um, oh, Barnet, right, yeah. Yeah, and so my, uh, yeah, my, my football background is basically London-based and I just go and watch Barnet in, Barnet in the Southern League, as it was back then and um and then uh, and then and then uh, 1975 West Ham became my my big team after my, my uncle was the only person that wanted them to win the FA Cup so everybody else wanted for them so I just thought I just want to be different so I'll just support the other team and uh, there we go <laughs> then uh, yeah. then uh, yeah then uh, several decades of misery uh, ensued um <laughs> watching yeah watching them and um Basically, my sort of 
Love Affair with the Albion really sort of took off. Um, with Fans United, I was uh, in the process of moving down to Brighton. Um, at the time, um, and my and my then partner was was from was from the area, so I took an interest in the Albion. And obviously, the thing that it, during during that that season of Fans United, there was a lot going on at the club that that I was aware of through the like the the original sort of North Stand chat, the the Seagull server thing where Brighton fans were asking for help from other fans um, yeah. about you know about trying to you know get rid of um, Archer and Velotti, um, and I'd been involved in like the bond scheme protests and um, all of the stuff that was going on at West Ham a, a few years prior to that. So it was something I could definitely relate to. And, um, and uh, yeah, I came down to, came down to Fans United with um, a Rotherham supporting mate and a Wilstone supporting mate. Um, we couldn't get in the North Stand. It was already full. It was already full. We were got ourselves onto the little West Terrace with a load of uh, Wolves fans and, uh, and like some Villa and Charlton and um, proceeded to watch a demolition of uh, Hartlepool where it just seemed every single shot was going to go in. And it was an absolutely amazing day. I was totally blown away by it. I'd been, I sort of had the sort of canvas for my mates to come down and like join in like petition writing and yada yada and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that really sort of, set me on my way of of taking of taking a real interest in the Albion um the first the first year of um that I actually lived down here I was still commuting back up to London I was commuting back up to London for work and I was still going to the football Upton Park and um but it, I just got fed up of Premier ironically enough I got fed up of Premier League football much <laughs> like the much like the team but um, but I just I just fell out of love with the game. I used to go I used to go pretty regularly, you know. Certainly, certainly every home game and quite a lot of the away games. And then you would just then that year there was just like no home games on a Saturday. You'd go like two months without a home game on a Saturday. It'd be Sunday, be Sunday afternoon, Monday night, you know, whatever yeah. uh, sort of whenever they decide to put the games on. I just thought this is just. It's just crazy. It's unsustainable. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't really happy with the team, and I became one of those fans that I actually hate because, uh, in the end, <laughs> without boring people with how crap that foot the football was that season, but um, I was only going along for the booing, and I thought, you know, what sort of life is this? You know, I've kind of like fell out of love with it. Um, yeah. I thought, some of the, I, you know, the, the players were lazy and overpaid. I thought the manager was terrible. And, and, you know, just like the experience of going to the football just totally deserted me. Uh, you know, the, the contempt that you were treated with by the club, uh, you know, that would be, you know, those heels, you know, those wounds took a, you know, took a while to heal. And, um, and um, I just wanted to go back to watching football and enjoying it and so one season I just decided to put my money where my mouth was I thought right I said I'm packing in I'm not just gonna I'm just not saying I'm packing in the season ticket I'm gonna do it so I did it packed it in started to come and watch the Albion like on a 
game by game basis. I think the first game, I, mm. first game with Dean I went to was in in the little A stand behind <laughs> behind the goal, um, which you could <laughs> buy tickets from the internet because it was quite hard to get tickets at the with Dean. Mm. Um, I mean, particularly the first year, that was one reason why I didn't go in the first season. But then when they expanded it a little bit, it became easier. Uh, and I saw watched them get beat 2-0 by Kidderminster Harriers. And I thought, yep, yeah, these are my people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, this, is, this, oh, is, this is football as I know and love it. And, um, and then when, when half-season tickets came up for sale, you know, that Christmas, I just thought, right, I'm going in. And uh, never looked back. And, of course, that season um, we got promoted. So... <laughs> Was the first, yeah. of, the first of many, first of many, um, first of many wins for us. When, um, but it was, it was, you know, and I just met some really good people, um, like the people yeah. I stood next, that, that I sat next to, and then just people I just met in general, and then. Yeah, I think that that's a part of it, isn't it? Because everyone talks about the social side of football and how much we're all missing going to the games as much for that as as for the game itself um and i think the people you meet or whoever you meet if you, if you get some a good bunch of people that really sells the whole notion of it becoming a, a habit and a ritual and a, a regular occurrence i think if you go and have say a bad experience everyone was rude the game was bad weather was bad and you i don't know some you got involved in some trouble or something it's probably going to put you off for life but if you just go out have a nice time meet some nice people in the pub have a good chat and start to feel the ties, the very early points of those ties coming together, and that that sells you into it, doesn't it? I think. Um, yeah, is, and yeah. Um, it was, you know, I mean, with Dean was was a was a good place was a good place to watch football. I think because mm. it was a small it was a small crowd, but we it kind of had that sort of sort of village feel. Everyone knew each everybody else. We were all in together and you got that community aspect back. This was like, you know, something that I, I had felt like, you know, when I was you know, watching my son back in the day, but it's very much like, you know, that sort of, that whole sort of East End community and stuff. I did live in East End for a while. Um, yeah. But, it, um, but when, but like with the Albion, it just, just got involved. And again, after, the, you know, the tragedy of the Twin Towers, Rock mm. Memorial Fund again. That was another thing. I got involved in the sort of clap, the flag carrying. Um, oh yeah, thing. yeah. Uh, we uh, met some brilliant people through that. Was we're still friends this day. Like you know, all my friends, you know, sort of being my friends. Yeah. Like, you know, nearly the best part of twenty years now. So um, yeah, just and just you yeah, know, got that community thing. Got that community aspect back. All the games. All the games were on Saturday. I played no danger of being on TV in Leeds. Um, <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I mean obviously, it's, it's all gone back full circle now. Where, but, you know, proper away days and hmm. just that. And, and actually, you know, the team turned out to be fairly good. That wasn't a prerequisite to keep me watching, but it just so happens that it coincided with a, yeah. with a very successful period for the team and also you just had all these battles to win um you know because i you know i do i remember all the you know the letter writing campaigns and stuff to, oh, yeah. to get the albion back to the with dean um in the first place and then yeah the, the long crusade 
to yeah. to the you know the hallowed ground of uh, Falmer. Absolutely, people um, forget the the Whitting uh, campaign itself was enough of a headache because yeah. there was plenty of opposition to that, wasn't there at first? I mean, by by the yeah by that was in full swing by the time I'd moved down to Brighton, and it was just it was just incredible. I was taking petitions into work and getting everybody to sign it, and uh, so all those yeah. letters and I'm outside Alistair at, at the room <laughs> and stuff, and like signing stuff there and. You know, but that was all part of it. It was all this campaign. So you had the campaigning, you had the football, you know, and I wasn't really sort of uber involved in campaigning. You, you just did what most fans did. You know, you just did did what you could. But yeah. you would, but that struggle, that struggle for me just totally embedded me into this, into this club and into this sort of, you know, football community because it is different. You know, I mean, there, you know, there will be fans of, you know, a handful of other clubs that will appreciate what what we went through. But I think outside of, because um, even like the bond scheme thing, that wasn't about like the club being on a knife edge or anything like that. It was just about getting mercilessly ripped off by a bunch of mm. crooks. But um, you might want to edit that out. But um, uh <laughs> But that was about mercilessly ripping the fans off. But this was about keeping this club going. And it was a completely different atmosphere um, to it and a different urgency to it. And, um, and it was a real battle. And the fans never gave up. I mean, it's, in, it's incredible. Absolutely yeah. incredible. And I know, we, you know there'll be newer fans now from the last you know, three or four years you, you know, maybe like, you know, in their early teens or whatever, um, mm. you know, they were just, you know, they must be tired of all these boring old men going on about exactly how we, how, we, how everybody <laughs> saves the club. But we've, we've already become part of that sort of older generation, haven't we, in yeah. that sense now. Um, but yeah, similar kind of thing to me in a way. I got, I fell out of love with football a little bit. I was in Southampton on a course 96 to 99 and then moved up to London. So I haven't lived in Sussex since... 96 and obviously everything transpired from the time when I moved out so I, I didn't get to go to games very often I wasn't enjoying the games I was going to Gillingham was even more of a nightmare to get to from where I was than, uh, than it was from Brighton and um, I, I fallen out of love with the game I think by the time we got back with Dean and I have friends in Southampton who I'd spoken to and, and got them to help out with the campaign so with Dean as well um, and we'd gone to away games on random mad cap trips like Darlington away and had some great times. Yeah. And it actually, in this sort of, this almost gallows humour, couldn't be worse sort of scenario, you know, terrible football and everything else, but having a good laugh. There's something about that. It's quite bonding, quite fun, quite off the, off the, um, off the usual beaten track, isn't it? And I, I think um, that can sort of bond you together. And we had some good times. And by the time we got back to Whitdean, I went to that, that game against Forest, wasn't it? The friendly, I think we had. Yeah. Um, it was a real feel-good factor. And the friends I dragged along, who weren't Brighton fans as such, but sort of dragged along. And they, they really got into it and had a good time as well. And I think that reignited my taste for it. And being in exile in London, um, you cling a little bit more, I think, to the things you're fond of, as I was once again by this point with the Albion. And um, I think that's linked me together. And being on things like the Fans Forum, um, the official website had a Fans Forum, and there's there, virtually all of the people on there were exiles in Manchester, yeah. Wiltshire, yeah. Cheshire, uh, the Midlands, all over the place. And 
you know, they were all coming together for the same reason. They didn't really have too much interaction week by week. They'd occasionally go to away games. That would generally be the idea where you could pay on the gate uh, back in those days. Back in those days. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually remember that. Although not <laughs> such, so much of an issue these days. But. Yeah. But, um, you know, those, those were times. And I, I met lots of really nice people, got lots of good friends from those days of, of, adversary as well, of adversity as well, which is nice. But um, in terms of when you came down, Andy, so did you live, did you move to Brighton itself first? And are you still in Brighton? Because I've got the impression you moved west, didn't you? Or am I imagining that? No, I I moved to I've moved to Brighton, um, right in the centre. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, and the seagulls are actually quiet, so I can leave the door open and the, to the garden. Oh, but, lovely! Not, not interrupt this, but so no, um, yeah, no. Just always just been down here since well, 98, 97, yeah. 98. And in terms of games, what, what sort of so what were your general? Um, match day procedures, pubs, travel, who you meet where, what, what sort of, how was, your, how was your typical match day, say in the Widdean years that you, when you were going to games there, for, for the home <laughs> games? Just, yeah. In the Widdean years, probably before I knew too many people, actually I had a weird routine because I used a laundrette on Seven Dials, so I'd, walk, <laughs> I'd drop the washing off at the laundrette and then I'd, I'd basically walk, I'd walk up to, I'd walk up uh, Dyke Road and it's a good mm. bit of exercise. Walk up there, and then and then just go into the sportsman, um, yeah. and then and meet people, meet people in the sportsman, um, and then just sort of end up walk, walking home. And then obviously, as as time wore on, ended up meeting friends like in Brighton rather than because a sportsman could be a bit difficult to get served and not the greatest. <laughs> Of pubs to be perfectly honest but no. um but so then started meeting people in brighton like the albert or the evening star or yeah back to yeah. Balga, and then you know just classics <laughs> yeah then just got you know train or bus up to mm. to the Bedeen. quite often get the the bus from from outside the church um yeah so mm. like great eastern uh, yeah and do that and then and then go back and uh after, after many matches back at the basket makers oh nice good for, choice again for, yeah for a few <laughs> celebratory beers after after the yeah. many great wins um or a cheeky whiskey if it was a midweek one at the, at the greatest <laughs> but yeah that's basically it nowadays um it will be like meeting people maybe at the albert or something at the pub near the station mm. and then um getting up about an hour before, just before the the crowds really sort of piled in. Just, I've, I've, I've just got bored of getting that sort of half half past a quarter two train where the last bit of the away fans always get on the same train and start, you know, and stuff. Yeah, it's fine. It's, yeah. it's, it's what football fans do. It's what we do. It's what we do when we go away. So... Yeah. But you know, I, you know, as, as tolerant as I am, I some I just don't need to listen to that. So I quite like to get up there a little bit before before the fight, the last minute rush. Yeah, get a nice so, yeah. nice point on the concourse. Yeah, and then I get think, set for the game. I was going to say in the Wooddean years, I'd um, I'd lost touch with the people I used to go to games with from the old days at the Goldstone, and but Wooddean, I tended to drive down when I did go to games, park up and somewhere in Patcham, and then walk, walk through. Um, so. And then if we did get the train, I tended to go to the brewery tap 
So you come out of Preston Park, turn the other way, a short walk back, and um, a few people I did know tended to go there. Um, eventually, over time, started to meet more and more people would go centrally. And definitely for Falmer, though, it's, um, it's good central. There's so many good pubs, isn't there? Uh, yeah. The Nelt will be going quite a bit as well in the old days. Um, it's changed a little bit there now. And, of course, we've got Brett at the Caxton as well now, haven't we? Well, we absolutely. Yeah. Ourselves. Yeah. It's yeah. always a, a fun <laughs> place to go. So Yeah. And, I mean, you've, you and I know each other only from the Amex years um, through AD&L of the Royal Fame. Um, yeah. We're all in the West Upper, so I've had a fair few beers with you at uh, pre-match or half-time or post-match uh, and elsewhere as well. Um, you've been West Upper from the beginning, have you? Yeah, from, the, from day yeah. one. And yeah. uh, it's, it's quite ironic because when I, I, I actually got myself an AD's tickets because I had higher priority than they because I'd actually had a season ticket with Dean longer than AD because he lived oh, in because right. he lived in Berkshire for a for for a while. So I yeah. I've about a year's seniority. But I could get him one. So um got yeah. my ticket in like the second week or the like the, the sort of second booking period that they that they had. And um yeah. So I got brilliant absolutely brilliant seats. And and what's great about that bit of the West Stand Upper is it because it's basically everybody who had like season tickets at Widding for like ten years. Yeah. Um, it's like, well, you know everybody, and they and they all bought these seats because they were like really good seats. So <laughs> it's just like you've just transported a bit of the Widding to the West yeah. End Upper, and it's just yeah, and it's a small world. Like uh, there's a massive group of people in front of us, and we know a disproportionately large amount of them, and um, and it's and it. It's for me. It you know the West End Upper is still a bit like, still a bit like the Withdean days, to be honest, because it's the same people, mm. um, you know, the same the same people that were there, you know. So they know all the, you know, we all know the same stories. You know, they know older ones than me, but but yeah, we're all, you know, of of an age and um, vintage and whatever. <laughs> and it's uh, and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's just like so. I don't feel that for me there hasn't been any loss, even though we've grown exponentially. It's not, we've gone from six thousand to thirty thousand, hopefully thirty-two, when yeah. everyone's allowed back in. Um, it, I haven't noticed any loss of that community feel. It's still like you know walking into Cheers. You know when you when you go up there, you, you're always going to see someone that you know. Yeah, there's always yeah. going to be someone to have a chat with. Um, and just like the, the build-up and excitement before before the games is um, is is just excellent. And for me, yeah, we're in the Premier League now. It's the big leagues. We're, it's changed a lot, but I think at its soul, it hasn't changed. And you know, I'm mm. not going to apologise for being one of the uh, the blue tinted glasses brigade <laughs> on that front <laughs> because I, because I think we have still got it. Um, certainly as far as I'm concerned anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty similar for me as well. Not to maybe the same quantity, but in terms of people I knew for the Widdin, they're scattered around more. But um, yeah, there's a load of people I know from the, the aforementioned bomb board, uh, the official message board they used to have. Um, there's also people I, a couple of people I've run into at games in more recent times who were fed up with where they were sitting. They've moved up to where I am. Um, and that is one or two of the people I used to go to the Goldstone with. So, yeah, almost by extension, I've I've got a little bit of the Goldstone in where I am. Um, 
old schoolers and other people I know who were from that era, albeit I didn't know them at the time. So it's great. Yeah, I mean, I, I love it as well where, where it is. It's a good position. I know where your seats are because I've sat with a friend of the show, Duncan, um, and he sits somewhere just behind you, I think. You've got yeah. really good centrally placed yeah. seats, haven't you, within the area. And it's great to read the game, isn't it? You, you can see the patterns of play, the movements, the shape, the, how the game is forming. Yeah, uh, I have to say, I, it, that seat has spoiled me now. Yeah, it does get difficult. Shallow, shallow seats behind the goals away from home, if, yeah. you, if you ever get those. It's kind of, well, this year, I, yeah, when you used to spend you know, your youth standing behind the goal and just not really caring, you're just shouting your head <laughs> off all the time. But, but now, I, know, I need to be able to watch it. I need to be able to, it's quite important, if, you know, especially yeah. if you're at a ground where you can pick your seat, I'm going to get quite picky if I can. Absolutely, and why not? I think that's fair enough, isn't it? Um, And in terms of this season, obviously, as you said, we're Premier League nowadays. We're going into a fourth year, thankfully, um, survived successfully. Comfortably, it looks in the end, seven points and the goal difference, isn't it? But what's your take on the season overall then, Andy, steering things to this this year just gone? I mean, um, first of all, it's been a bizarre season, of course, because of lockdown and the the restart scenario. Um, But overall... Maybe get your take on lockdown as well. But overall, what's your take on the season, first of all, in its entirety for us? Um, I think it was a good seat. I think it, I think on reflect, you know, taking it as an entirety, it was a good season. Um, I think what Potter did was actually quite remarkable because it's really hard to change a team's style of play overnight, um, which he pretty much did with like a, Total mm. fear change. Um, you've got to get used to it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say all the season was that great because um, there were bits of it that, that, were, that were not good. Um, but the it, frustrating endless draws. Yeah, yeah. This season has left me feeling very, very excited about the prospect of next season. Whether whether I would say that pours over into optimism, I'll. I'll probably just rein back a little bit on that, but I'll just say I am excited to see what we can do now. I think, yeah. I think we've put ourselves in a position where new possibilities have opened up in terms yeah. of like playing personnel, playing style, formations. Um, I think we've shown some very good resilience um, this season. I think we've shown character in games that that we may not have shown in previous seasons and I think that's been a major step up yeah. um, for me it's been a slight disappointment that there's still a little bit of sloppiness about some of our play which has mm. meant that we probably felt I don't know six seven points shy of where we should have been I think mm. I think we I think we left you know we, we may have had a couple of nice little late wins but I think I think the points we let go exceed those ones that we see yeah. that, that we purloined at you know in fortuitous fashion but um yeah but that only makes me excited because i just think well you know it will be self-evident to the manager the coaches and the players you know where those margins were and, and, and what needs to be done and um, then it'll be up to the players to yeah. to resolve it and, and you know, maybe if they don't then they get moved on but um but I think we, you know, we became close. It's very frustrating to not finish above a poor Palace team this year. Yeah, that was especially that with the was, 
it was uh, I mean even like even like my yeah my my palace supporting friend just said seriously what more do we have to do to <laughs> and you know and he had a point you know as yeah. you know as much as we would joke about how terrible Palace were this season they they had more points than us yeah I mean uh, they had um I think it was the second worst scoring rate so it was purely down to I think their defense and counter-attacking snatching low-scoring winners, I think, is, it seems to, I presume, must have been the way they've got to the yeah, points. I mean, it. you know, they they were disciplined and yeah, they made fewer mistakes than us. I yeah, think. yeah, I think that's right. And even even for all the frustrations and all the points dropped, a number of games we listed it before, we could listen again, the Villas, the Watfords, the, the various games where we've dropped points, we shouldn't have done Palace as well, of course. Um, for all of that, um, if we'd have just got the win against Newcastle, we would have finished above both them and Palace. Yeah. Um, ironically. So despite everything, one one more win there, which was a draw, and um we would have we would have got what was that another four million. I think for me one of the, the really encouraging things for this season and this kind of leads to a, a sort of flip side bad point, but going going to away games was not a waste of time this season. Yeah, that's right. It was yeah. like we had if we went to, if you went to an away game we had a chance in it, except yeah, except maybe Man City away, because I think even at <laughs> Liverpool even yeah. we, but I think even at Liverpool we gave them a game and probably should have got a draw. Yeah, at Anfield, um, but yeah, we got wins. You know, I mean, it's had to say under, under the you know the last season for Hughton, but well, you know I went to a lot of I went to a lot of away games for that, under Hughton, and it was just like, why hmm. am I even here? I could have really had a much better time somewhere else and um <laughs> but this yeah. but this season it wasn't and there were some really there were some really good days in there the you know the arsenal away victory was particularly fun because it was yes, a great I enjoyed that one <laughs> it was a really good it was a you know a really good performance a big in you know air quotes big club and they are a big club with some seriously serious world-class talents, you know. Luckily for us, none of them are playing in defence, um, <laughs> <laughs> and they were on a bit of a lull at the time, weren't they? They were having some yeah. bad moments, yeah. change of manager and everything. But, the, well. but it was the mental attitude that we had in that game was that we got ourselves on the front foot, every opportunity we could, and yeah. it, we played with a confidence that we that we hadn't seen in in other in other years, we weren't just going there to try and get a point and keep everybody out. We tried to score goals. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, and that paid definite off. Definite sea change, isn't it? Definite sea change. And I agree with you. I think, yeah, there's an element of risk whenever you change managers. However, I think the general consensus was that Chris, for all he's done well for us, it did feel like it was a continued downward spiral that we were looking at there. And it seemed likely that that was going to continue. So it's, it was less of a risk than it might have been in other circumstances. And for all of the careful what you wish for brigades, yes, I'm talking to you, Danny Mills and Paul Merson, and especially John Barnes, who's yeah. carried on digging his heels in, um, and various others besides. Um, I think it was a logical uh, change, all respect to, to Chris Hughton, who did well for us. But I think it was a logical change to, to make. Who we picked exactly was, was obviously going to be the question. And in Graham, I think we've managed to carry off what we needed to do, which is to change that style and survive. Ultimately, that's the be all and end all. We've done that. 
Uh, the bonus, as you've mentioned as well, we've brought players through. That's another difference with Chris and, and Graham, isn't it? That he's, he's willing to, to, to plug players into the team. We've obviously had Tariq came in and started later in the process, but we've had others like Stephen Alzate. We've had, um, obviously, Aaron Connolly has come in as well and others. And you can see there's a pathway for the likes of Ben White, which hopefully he can see as well yeah. now. Um, I think he would. I don't think. I don't think any. I think any any young player worth his salt will will know that he's got an opportunity here. It'll be. I mean, yeah. It's really up for the. It's really up to to Graham to to speak to him and you know and whether and whether Graham feels that that, that Ben's going to fit into his style of play. Mm-hmm. I think if he does, if he thinks he's got a future at Brighton, then I certainly don't see him leaving for Leeds United. Um, no, no, but, not at all. But I mean, going back to Chris, um, I'll just say that you know we needed Chris to build the foundations. Yeah, you know, he we needed him to do it because when he joined, we were you know the, you know the building was collapsing and he needed to re, he needed to stop the rot, rebuild it, get us up and keep us up. Tremendous achievement. Couldn't have could not have done it without him. Yeah. Um, but once the foundations were in, we just needed someone to build the house, someone else to build the house. Yeah. And that's what Potter's been brought in to do. It's just like, yeah, you, you, yeah, this is great. This is what we wanted you to do. But now we need this other guy into. Yeah, it's almost like to, Tony, to, Uncle Tony wanting to go really high spec. We've been waiting so long to get the stadium, wanted to go high spec on all the elements. It's almost a bit like that with the team now, isn't it? He wants to get the extra spec as far as we can manage within our budgets. Um, and, you know, we, we can see that. I think there's, there's clearly a plan. You can see it with some clubs. You can see very distinctly it isn't there with others. And we're I'm delighted to be able to say and, and, and to realise is one of the clubs that does have that plan. There's a structure. There's long-term thinking. We're building for the future as well as for the current. And all of that uh, very strong, persistent policy we're getting in players who are in that kind of peripheral youth, beyond youth period, but they're kind of like in this 17, 18, 19, 20 age. We've, we've got a number of them in. Some of them haven't worked. Some of them have moved on. But we're starting to see the, the benefits of that now, aren't we, with, with some of the ones we brought in. Obviously, much more quickly with Tariq Lamptey, but with others like Aaron Connolly who have come in sort of midway points, I suppose you could call it, in terms of the development process. Um, they're getting to play, not only are they getting to play for the first team, which previous incumbents in the youth and 23s haven't, but they're doing it in the Premier League. Yeah, and, uh, they're, which... and they're getting lots of starts as well. Um, yeah. I mean, what you say is absolutely correct. I mean, this club has a vision, um, and I think it's very reflective of the, of the city as well. I think the city itself views itself as a forward-thinking, you know, modern City and I think Tony Bloom has always had a modern vision for this football club. You can see it in the bricks and mortar at Falmer and at Lansing. Um, from the outset, the visual statement it's like, I'm not just going to do it by numbers, I'm going to do it my way, and it's going to look different and it's going to look and it's going to make people's people yeah. add people's attention. I think he's done that, and I think he's done that with the managerial appointment. When we let Chris go, my first I I thought we we got to go for Graham Potter because he yeah. because he because he fits whether he's going to work or not. 
but he fits what we want to do. And it would be brilliant if it actually worked out because <laughs> it would actually, we want someone that can work with younger players. We want someone that's sort of flexibility and a slightly more, you know, may, you know, maybe what appears to be a more modern view of the game, a slightly more, you know, um, a slightly more technical manager hmm. that, 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 is, that is always that's looking above. And I think, what he did with Ostersons was that he had he had a smaller club that punched above its weight. It wasn't afraid to take on you know what appeared to be an impossible task against Arsenal in the you know in the Europa League or whatever it was, and and then you know he had this very successful time with with Swansea yeah. with like very little money and look and look at the players that he's turned out there. Yeah, I completely agree with you as well. I, I was the same. I was keen on the notion of Potter. Once the name was presented, I thought, "Oh, yeah, that would that would go that would go well," and yeah, dynamic, younger. You said fresher thinking, maybe you could say um, it had all the attributes, didn't it? That that appointment, if it were to go ahead, it did, and we found out that so far so good. He's um, he's done well. It's a tough gig. I mean, you can see from his face. Um, I know he had a lot of personal issues because I think both his parents died yeah, during the season, which I think. Not much has actually been made of that, really, in the grander scheme of things. No, I mean, it's, it's a credit to him. He just yeah. got on with it, despite, you know, having... Yeah. And he's had to deal with that, and he's had to deal life. with... Yeah, he's, he's dealing with a new division, new players, a new club, a new area, um, having those personal, major, tragic personal issues to deal with, and getting the job done. Um, I, I think, you know, the... Um, the progress report so far is great, I think. Yeah, things could go wrong from here, maybe. But I, I'm confident that we can have a good go of it next season. And we'll chat a little bit about what you what you think you're um, expecting from next season in terms of the team, possible transfers, the ones we have got in, and um, a few other things beside. Um, get your view on the kit as well in part two. Andy, I'm also going to subject you to the quiz in part two. You might be one of the last, if not the last, of this season to do it. <laughs> last chance to, uh, to beat Robin's full team. We'll see how you get on with that in a moment. But that brings us to the end of part one. Um, so join us again in just a moment. So welcome back to part two of the latest episode with me, Russell Guyver, and with my guests today, Andy Bass. Hello and welcome back, Andy. Oh. Glad yeah. to be here. Still enjoying that red wine? Uh, yes, I am. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Second glass, only on the second glass. <laughs> um, so yeah, in the first part, we were talking about how the season had panned out a little bit, weren't we? And um, talking about Graham and how he's changed certain elements, the tactics really, um, being more multi-dimensional really with them, hasn't he? Um, would you say that's been one of the most refreshing elements? And to what degree do you think we can see more more of the same from him next year? Well, it's, it, more of the same is the last thing you're going to see with Graham Potter. Isn't it? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's been um, that. I mean, that that has been either you know, the beauty or the beast of of of, of how the, of how this season has gone. But I just think we have possibilities now. You know, mm -hmm. we have possibilities. We, you know, as fans, it's very difficult for us to predict who you know how he's going to set up in any particular game. He definitely considers it on a game by game basis. And picks a team to suit his plan for that game. He's not particularly plus now, you know, a risky. That's that's difficult to pull off because you're asking players to remember more things. 
Whereas yeah. if you're really well drilled and organized, you can keep it regimented and you can maintain a certain level of performance. Um, but I think Potter's vision for the team is slightly more ambitious than that. He said, well, I could do that, but where's mm. the fun in that? Let's, you know, if this comes off, we could have even more success than just like this minimal success. I could probably guarantee we'll do that yeah. reach a certain level. But if I, we want to go higher, then we've got to be a bit braver. As you said off air just a moment ago as well, um, it's the first season where you really don't quite know what's going to happen here. Um, it could, as you said, if it comes off and we, we could go firing up, get a really good season under our belts, um, we could step on. Who knows? There's more changes, there's a few, few new bits of personnel in, in change, how the new signings bed in, what exactly he's got planned, whether any signings going out, we, we still don't quite know. What we do know transfer-wise, of course, is that we've already signed, um, well, three or four people. In terms of senior level, we've got Adam Lalana in, which um, we'll be doing a transfer special to discuss in a bit more detail with, uh, with, with people from the representative clubs that we've signed them from. But um, in terms of Adam Lalana, a lot of experience. He's at 32, still got a little bit in his legs. He's got a good head on uh, his shoulders there, and he's got a good balance. He's got a good touch. I think he'll be a good impression on the new boys, won't he? And we've got um, Joel Veltman in as well from Ajax. So both eye-catching signings in terms of the player, in terms of the club we sign them from, adds a bit of experience, doesn't it? Which I think will help. Hopefully they'll assimilate themselves quite well and quite quickly. Um, are you pleased with those signings? And what else are you hoping for? Um, well, yes, I'm very happy with both signings, um, particularly Adam Lallana. Um, ever since he stepped foot on the football pitch at Southampton many, many moons ago. Um, he's been a good football player, really eye-catching to watch. Um, it's a shame he had some injury mm. troubles when he did because he seemed to be reaching a, you know, an apex in his career at that time with England and stuff and it all sort of got taken away from him. But, but he's... But he's just really—he's just you know—he's just a good footballer, and and he's and he's played at this level. Yeah, you know, this is like you know for him playing Man City and United. You know, it's not—it's not intimidating for him. It's what he does regularly and at you know at this high level. So champion, you know, Champions League winner, Premier League winner. Yeah, it's great. An international goal scorer. But, um, and also, as the rest of the team, as we are trying to make the rest of the team slightly more youthful, to have someone with that experience, particularly in that position where I think we've got the likes of Stephen Alzati, I think, in, in particular, could maybe learn an awful lot because I think um, yeah. he's a, a really good prospect. Um, it's funny when, when you try and look back to the dark depths of time when this season actually started. Um, <laughs> I can't remember that far back, Anne. Well, yeah, it was, you know, over a year ago now, isn't it? So, <laughs> um, I, but I remember watching um, a pre, one of the pre-season friendlies that the Albion streamed in, uh, it was in Austria or something. And it was only obviously like a second or third division team, non-league team or whatever. But I thought this Alzati kid looks really good. Yeah. It just made loads of t- it makes loads of time on the ball, 
And um, when he, you know, and he got introduced into the Albion early on, had that, an absolutely brilliant game at Newcastle. Um, and boy, does that boy, does, does he need a goal? I mean, <laughs> he's had quite a lot, he's got quite a few chances. Brilliant saves yeah. at the word work. Yeah. Um, the lot. But he, I mean, he got used in a variety of roles. He got used, you know, out as fullback as well as playing central midfield. But central midfield, I think, is where he's, he's best yeah. at. And who better to bring him on than Adam Lallana? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just his idea. Yeah. yeah. He's and, got and his I, co- coaching credentials potentially as well. Certainly yeah. influence in the dressing room. Even if he even if he's got injuries, I think um he'll he'll be a positive influence. That's a, a really good move to get him in. You could say flamboyant, expensive if that's all it's gonna be, but uh with wages. But still I think he'll have a good influence. And I, I think how, I think he'll make a good contribution on the pitch as well. I think Yeah. And and how many players can you remember that we've signed from a fellow Premier League club? You can probably count them on one finger, can't we, more or less? So I think it's not many. We tend to sign from abroad or below, don't we? And for a reason, of course, it's it's expensive to, to do otherwise. Um, but getting him on a free transfer, um, brilliant deal. It's, it's superb for us. So, that. Yeah, I mean, I think the intention is that he will be able to like build up some coaching credentials here. And yeah. I think it's nice that we've been able to offer him something. And it's a mutual benefit to sort of... Yeah. Seems and it was, you know, when he announced that he was going to leave Liverpool. I mean, the reaction from both the football club itself, but but the Liverpool fans mm. was just was just incredible. I mean, you know, I, yeah. I imagine he, there may have been the odd tear in his eye at some of the response. Yeah, they really did. Great. They really did appreciate him, didn't they? And um, and they do. I mean, I've chatted to quite a few Liverpool fans through the years, and they, from my impressions, I think. Aside from social media buffoons, um, Liverpool fans really do know their stuff, a lot of them, um, in a lot of detail. And um, I think to get praise from them is, is praise indeed. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's encouraging. Um, what about Feldman? I mean, we know probably less about him, obviously, because he's playing in Holland. We've seen him in Champions League games. He was in the Champions League semi last year, wasn't he? Um, and, you know, he's a solid sort of player. Um, obviously, going to be technically decent. So, you know, that fits the bill. It's about transition, I suppose. And um, he can be prone to a mistake occasionally, I think. So that's one thing we might have to watch out for from what I've been hearing uh, in my chats this week. Uh, stay tuned for more on that. But he, overall, it looks like a good signing, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I, because he plays like right wing back and centre half, you get the feeling that he, he'll probably end up playing both of those roles at some point in the season rather than just slotting into one role. I think with Lamptey will be the main right back, but I don't think he's going to start Lamptey in every match. There might be some games that he he feels he'll be more effective than others. And then he might want to bring Feltman in for that. And obviously, you know, if there's one team that can't have enough central defenders, it's Brighton and Ove Albion, Um, (laughs) especially ones that can play football. And, yeah, but in the Premier League, it's important. You know, um, I think I, I think you could say Web, you know, Adam Webster certainly had a few mistakes in him at the beginning of the season, mm. um, and he seems to certainly our post lockdown seems to have um, yeah. got rid so of does, most of them. So does anyone, don't they, in their first season? Um, especially if you're coming in at Premier League level. I mean, Dunk had mistakes in in the first season. Um, plenty of other players besides. Yeah. It's it's one of those things, isn't it? But when you look um, at you know, if, when I'm looking at sort of 
you know, if I'm looking at Arsenal or City or Chelsea, you know, how many, how many mistakes are in their centre of defence? Not as, you know, more than ours. It's just that they score more goals. That's really our problem is that we, you know, yeah. we, 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 we score a goal a game just. Yeah. Um, exactly. And um, that makes it hard for the defence to, to keep it out. The, the other people we've signed, we've, we've also got some younger players and we've got Zach Emerson from Oldham. We've got uh, Jensen Weir, Davidson from um, Wigan. And also we've now confirmed the deal for Lars Dendonka, the younger brother of the Wolves player, who's uh, come in as well, uh, Belgium international youth level. Um, they're obviously ones for the future, maybe the near future, we'll see. Um, we won't comment more on that because we don't really know that much about them, do we? But I anticipate probably that I wouldn't be surprised if there's one or two more of those signings because we have got this conveyor belt of, of signings we're bringing in. Um, but in terms of the, unless you've got anything particular to say on that, and I wanted to just ask you really about senior signings, what else are we looking for? We were talking off air about left backs, weren't we, a, a while ago? And Rico Henry is someone that's been mentioned in rumours. Um, we've We've also been linked with this Villarreal guy, and we—I've forgotten his name now. Um, but there's also who is it we were talking with off air? I can't remember who oh, we said. Ryan Sessegnon. Oh yeah, that was it. I forgot about. Yeah, it would just be—it would yeah. just be great. I mean, I—I I, you know, but that is literally sort of wishful thinking on our part. I don't think yeah. that would be realistic at all. Although I think we would be—I think we'd be a better destination for him than languishing yeah. around playing for old uh, sourpuss at. At, uh, at the old Death Star. Um, yeah. And what I, about strikers? I'm an advocate of Brewster if we could get him on loan. I was asking uh, John Gibbons this week about that, which again was on our next episode. Um, he's not quite sure what's going to happen with Gibbons. I'm not sure if Liverpool are yet. It will depend on their transfers. But he'd be a good option, I think, Brewster. If, if not him, any other players you've got your eyes on who are realistic targets that we could get in that could fill the void up front? Not really. It's so difficult with strikers. It's also kind of difficult to know how the the Albion coach, yeah, you know, how Graham Potter is feeling about that position. Because I think, I think with I think with Mope, that's his first season in the Premiership. Ten goals mm. in a team that only scored thirty nine. So pretty. He did pretty well. Um, and yeah. having watched the, the compilation videos, good quality goals as well. They are, aren't they? It's a good um, and, and, you, and you forget how young he is. You think, well, yeah, you want some improvement from him. Connolly, just, I, just, I know, just needs the confidence. And we did, I think we need to get the supply lines going. I think, hmm. I don't think there have been an amazing amount of missed chances. Not, no. not, not, really good ones and I think that those players are so instinctive I yeah that's right I know yeah. we keep I know we, the, the sort of the rule the thought is that we should be going for like a younger version of Glenn Murray but hmm. I'm not entirely sure I wouldn't be disappointed if we didn't go down that route and we got another young, mobile smaller mobile player because I think when you look at you know at Man City for instance yes they get by without, don't they? You know, yeah. The, the key for City is people getting to the byline, and then everybody only has to tap it in from yeah. six yards out. Cutbacks. Um, that's like ninety yeah. percent of their goals, um, yeah. and then and the fluidity as well, isn't it? Yeah. The, the play and up to a point, obviously within reason, we can 
we can do something similar. Obviously, nowhere near city standard, but the same style of play. Why not? Yeah, I think certainly there's a change, isn't there, in the in the forward positions in what how Graham's setting things up. He's gradually structuring this different way of playing without having conventional wingers, having more of just wide attackers um, who can who can interact and interplay. I think look at it, Connolly again. He hasn't scored as many as Morpé, but his goals pretty decent as well. I've been very good. Burnley is a good one, I thought, for example. Really good finish. Excellent. Excellent quality finish. So he's, he's proven that he's got it, so you've got to get him the ball. Um, so I'm not even... Whereas I would have... If you asked me a few months ago, I'd have been looking to buy that sort of headline mm. starting centre-forward. So maybe be a bit bolder, go out and spend 30 or 40 million pounds on a name. Um, that, that we that, that we think is going to do something that will lead the line and maybe mm. take over, but I, I'm not so sure that is exactly what we need. I think we need better supply from midfield and maybe to, and another support and maybe yeah. just someone who's more around like the Mopo level. So I don't know, I mean, like we'd go like Ollie Watkins or yeah, because Watkins, um, you know, he doesn't do a lot with his need to do a lot with his head because the way Brentford play. Yeah. isn't too dissimilar to the way we're playing in terms of attacking, passing game, cutbacks, balls along the ground more. Yeah, I'm sure he can head it, but he doesn't tend to need to, does he? He's, he's another player that's good with his feet and good with the interplay and the link-up. Because I, th- I think we're sort of, you know, if we're looking at spending a lot of money on a striker, I think mm. we are shopping in the aisle between 18 and £30 million. Pounds. Mm. Simply because if you're a £40 million pound player, you probably want to want to go to a a club yeah. that you perceive to be bigger than Brighton and Hove Albion, yeah. that would maybe not be the best move for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so realistically, who are we getting? We're, 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 we'll be after players that aspire to that progression um, and then maybe we can get them to achieve it with us. Um, and I think that's probably the route we're going to go down. I think we'll get one, but I think we'll get one at the last minute because we never get the strikers early even though everyone's clamouring for them, we'll just keep racking up midfielders and defenders saying, why do we need another one of these? Well, it's a, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a hard season. You need, you need the flexibility and you can, there are different ways of making a football team work than yeah. just pumping it up to the big man. So, um, Absolutely. We'll, well, this, as you alluded to a while ago, the, um, the season has been ridiculously long. It's still going on for Wolves. I think it's going to be something like 383 days minimum they'll have now, yeah. um, even if they get knocked out in the next stage in the Europe, Europa League. But um, for us, we're looking ahead to the new season. Um, a few things. I mean, we've obviously had the lockdown thing, so I don't know how you, what your take was on lockdown and um, in, in terms of in its own right. And it's, it's obviously difficult times. We've now got the shorter window before we start coming back in and, and training and getting back into our stride. Um, obviously, we'll see what happens on the pitch. But in terms of returning to stadiums, what's your view on that in relation to COVID and on how things have gone through the summer? Um, return to stadiums, your views. Um, would you approve of partial return for some fans? And would you want to be a part of that partial return? Um, um, from... Speaking personally, um, I would answer yes to both those questions. Um, I don't see it happening straight away. I don't think we're there yet. Um, I think you know, I'd want that to start at a time where the country felt confident it was possible to do it. And also, 
I think it'd be very difficult for the clubs to decide who can go and who can't. I mean, it's it's in um, in America. Um, I think the Baltimore Ravens. They won't. I don't. I doubt there'll be any fans at NFL games in September. But what the Baltimore Ravens have done, so they're hoping to get maybe fourteen and a half thousand fans in at some point during the season. Now, yeah. stadium that holds like eighty. 70,000. Yeah. But they said everybody who's got a season ticket for next season can turn it over to the following season. So when hopefully yeah. when it, everything's open again, then you get your seat back. That's fine. You keep you keep your ticket, but we'll just do match day sales for this limited number. Maybe that might be maybe that might be the way to go because I think a lot of people will still be reticent about attending games anyway. So even if you did it on some kind of like lottery system, mm. you know, how do you, you know, how do you sort of figure out which, you know, which groups go into the lottery? Cause like people go with multiple friends yeah. and yeah. family members. Um, so maybe, maybe they just sort of like say, right, if you've got a season ticket, well, for, you know, for 2021, you can have your season to give it 21, 22, and we're just going to put, uh, you know, 50, you know, 12,000 tickets on sale. Yeah, that might do And that. you just buy them and, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll split everybody up accordingly. Yeah. I guess a lot of it to do with, if you've got big groups and bubbles and you could, you could cluster a lot of people into a, hmm. a confined space, that might be a way of utilizing the space better and getting more people in without compromising any of the, uh, safety elements maybe that'll be a way to go but we'll, we'll see it's, it's interesting isn't it I mean, such unique times and we'll, we'll have to wait and find out what goes on with that i mean there's always the chance of another spike and things could get regressed back. yeah we don't i mean we don't know i mean and neither do the clubs and i think it's you know yeah you know, i think they're in, in an almost impossible position it's very difficult it's very difficult to work to work these things out i know that ad's been fortunate enough to go to the to the games at the MX for the end of this season. And, um, you know, yeah. they put a lot of work into making sure even that small number of people are safe. And so as much, as much as I would like to go back, uh, you know, I'm perfectly aware of, of how much, you know, yeah. how much of an issue it would be for the club to actually organize it properly. Uh, yeah. and also, I mean, just, I'm in the fortunate position of like, you know, I could walk there rather than get on a bus or train. So, yeah, because that's the other yeah. thing, isn't it? Transport element, especially in a club like Albion, where there's such a large number on sustainable transport. So fitness-wise, it would probably, you know, it might end up being a plus point for me. Yeah. <laughs> Walk up there, keep the mask on, and uh, and then just head home afterwards, and uh, that'll, yeah. be, that'll be fine. Well, um, whether we're at the Games or not, a lot of us will be wearing our new, our new kits. I've got one for my birthday, which... Uh, my ITV digital monkey is sporting in the background behind me as a model. Fine figure of uh, Simeon, isn't he? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it looks better on me than him. Um, I will be taking that back over shortly. Um, I can't like it. What do you think? I like it except for the collar. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what everyone's saying, isn't it? I'm not um, sure. It's better when it's done up and, and the button, the collar. It doesn't look so floppy <laughs> uh, yeah i i it's the sort yeah. of shirt that um i just i just thought when i if i see it in real life um i think i would like it more i know a lot of I, pretty much all of my friends they've already bought it they love it yeah. it's a it's yeah. an absolute hit um i have to say when i was watching the the burnley game on my phone i thought oh, is that portsmouth playing 
<laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but no, it harks, you know, but it's a nice, you know, it, it harks back to a different time. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be in the pinstripe. It's good solid blue. It's, it's bold. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a nice kit. And um, it, luckily for the club, looks like they've got a winner on their hands and they'll be able to, they'll be able to sell a few. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like the tradition of the stripes, but then we have had a tradition of having plainer blue as well, um, going right back. So even then, as long as maybe not in the long term, we'd like to go into intermittently between something like this and something like the stripes. But um, I, I like it. Glad to get a copy of it, um, and I think um, yeah, we're sporting it with pride. It's um, it suits the um, the larger gentleman better than stripes as well. Although I have actually been one of the few that's lost weight during lockdown, so, <laughs> so maybe I don't need to worry about that as much as I might have done. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, I started, anyway. I started <laughs> down like that, but I've ended up going back the other direction. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, a lot have. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a short break again now, and in part three. We're going to subject you to the quiz, Andy. Are you ready? Uh, I, as, as I'll ever be. Excellent. Okay. Coming back up in a moment, we will have the quiz. Stay tuned. So we're back with the third and final part of this episode. It's time for the quiz, Andy. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> let's, let's do it. There's a mortal dread on your face there. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, here we go then. It's the usual format. And the target remains, as it has done for quite a long time, Robin, who managed to get a pretty impressive 14 out of 15. Um, something around the 10 mark would get you in mid-table and would beat my score of nine and a half, which I have to say comes courtesy of some cruel and vicious questioning from Peter. <laughs> we did it a few weeks ago. I'm not happy with the man. Um, that's why he's really not on the show. I've sacked yeah. him off. <laughs> but anyway, here we go. Here's your questions, Andy, then. We'll fire them off quickly. So, first of all, it's your nickname question. Which non-league Sussex... Sorry, that again. Which non-league Sussex club are nicknamed the Rooks? Not the Rocks, the Rooks. Um, Lewis. It is indeed. Off to a flyer, one out of one. Question two. Who played their home games at the New York Stadium or the Asiel New York Stadium to include the sponsor's name. Rotherham United. Yes, two out of two. Starting as you mean to go on. Lovely. Um, okay, this one is a multiple choice. How many caps did legendary goalkeeper Peter Shilton earn in his England career? It is, of course, the record number for England caps for anybody. Is it 105, 115 or 125? 105. Ooh. Is that your final answer? <laughs> I'm sticking with it. Yeah, that's all right. I might be tricking you, but I'm not. It's 125, believe it or not. Yeah. It's a bit more than I thought. I thought he was on about 150. Yeah, yeah. It's a madness, isn't it? <laughs> so there we go. Two out of three. Not bad so far. Question four. Who scored Albion's goal at Villa Park um, in the season just finished? Adam Webster. Yes, it was, indeed. Yeah, that's the first of your three Albion questions. More to come on that later. Next one's on a Euro theme. List the top three. You need to get all of these. Who are the top three European Cup forward slash Champions League winners in terms of the numbers of trophies won? So who are the three clubs that have won the most of that tournament? Um, you don't have to get them in order, but do you know who they are, the three of them? Uh, Real Madrid. Yeah. Liverpool. Yeah. 
I'm gonna go Ajax. Is that your final answer on that one? I'm you might be thinking you might want to go more sort of South European, maybe, possibly. Juventus. Uh, it's a decent effort. No, it's actually Milan who've had seven. Oh. Milan, as they like to say there. Yeah. Um, incidentally, Juventus are the uh, have the record for the most numbers of defeats in finals, which is seven as well, actually. Um, so there we are. Okay, so we are on three out of five so far. Question number six. In relation to the European Cup and Champions League, what do Nottingham Forest and Porto have in common? These, these are the only two that have this fact in common in relation to the finals, shall we say, the later stages somewhere. So to, to repeat the question, in relation to the European Cup or Champions League, what do Nottingham Forest and, and Porto both have in common? Um, did both have their manager leave after the, winning it for the last time? Um, I'm not entirely sure. That's not the answer I'm going for. So I'm not sure that could be correct. Uh, so I'll give you another chance on that basis. Um, it's to do with the final. So, Hamburg. Final or finals. I was in Hamburg. Um, Malmo. Um, did they just only win one nil in each of their victory each of their victories um it's not quite what i was going for i'll have, I'll have to give you the answer it's uh, you're kind of on the right tracks but they are the only teams who have who have won or been in two finals but won them both oh. so they've they're unbeaten in finals yeah everyone else has uh has, has failed at some point there we go okay right keep you an international flavor um of sorts anyway what was the name of the Japanese club that Gary Lineker played for at the end of his career? Oh. <laughs> this is one we can come back to if you want a bit of time on. Um, um, it's, got a, it's got a numerical element to the name. That's the only clue I can give you. It, uh, yeah, it's something seven. It's something similar to something seven. <laughs> um, yeah. Is it like Nagoya seven? Oh, you're getting close. It is Nagoya is part of the answer. Um, it's you, you. You need to change the number a little bit. <laughs> if I'll give you one more guess at the number. If you get the number, I'll give you. I'll give you the point. Okay, um, six. Oh, he's gone the wrong way. It's uh, Nagoya Grampus Eight. Grampus Eight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I knew I knew it as, so, as soon as you said it. Yeah, it's one of them, isn't it? Um, okay, well, question number eight then. Um, you, you're probably all right with some of these ones coming up. Uh, that'll be reassuring, hopefully. Question number eight. Who is Albion's officially recognised all-time top scorer? So this isn't Bert Stevens that apparently had some, a load of goals in wartime or something. It's the official registered top scorer, who, of course, has 123 goals. He's 12 ahead of uh, our man Muzzer. But what's his name? Do you remember his name? No, I do not. And this comes up. In like the rem quiz every <laughs> every year, um, I think his as we know it, his his first name is abbreviated, so it ends in a Y. That's the only clue I can give you. I think. Um, no, I'm afraid. I think I'm it's one of those. Yeah. Okay. I'll, okay. Well, it, it's Tommy Cook. 
Tommy Cook. Yeah, yeah. Question nine. Um, this is back to the Albion. Um, which number has new signing Joel Veltman, that we were talking about earlier in the pod, uh, taken for the forthcoming season? Ooh, um, 24. Ooh, not a bad effort, but it's 34, actually. Um, he's chosen it to pay tribute to his oh. former Ajax teammates, isn't he? Um, I think it's Abdelak Nouri, I think it's pronounced, who yeah. collapsed on the pitch during a friendly um, three years ago and went into induced coma. I don't think he's been great since. And uh, a lot of um, ex-teammates have been taking the number 34s at various clubs in tribute to yeah, I knew okay. there was four in it. Yeah. All right, well, on to question 10. It's the missing link question. Which is the missing name in this sequence? Um, it's on a Spanish theme, uh, Spanish club theme. It's Manuel Pellegrini, Jose Mourinho, Carlo Ancelotti, Blank, and Zinedine Zidane. Who is the missing man? Um, out of interest, do you know what this, what this combo is? They're all Real Madrid managers. Correct, yeah. The most recent ones. This is the recent yeah. sequence. And so, yeah, Pellegrini, then Mourinho, then Ancelotti, then the missing man, and then Zidane. And it was the guy that managed Spain. Um, who only managed Spain for like. Did we? I managed Spain somewhere for like weeks actually. and then got fired because he went uh, to. Madrid. Yeah, I, I think there's actually. There's actually two. I think I must have missed someone out because I think there's two names here. Because that's not the name I've got, but I think you're right that the guy you're talking about is Lopetegui, isn't it, or something? Um, yeah. Lopetegui. I think he's at Sevilla actually as manager at the moment. Um, but it's actually someone who's now closer to home is the name I was looking for. So he's, he's over here. Okay. No. Gone blank. <laughs> we'll give you a few seconds. Oh, yeah, good, go blank. Like Clock is ticking. I've got down uh, Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez. Yeah, yeah. I think I got this question actually from um, somewhere else. And um, I've got, I think Lopetegui is definitely in that list somewhere as well. Yeah, because uh, if you've got, got his name, I would have given it. But uh, yeah, I'm lucky. Yeah, because he was, he was manager of Spain and then before the World Cup. And then yeah. he agreed to become Madrid manager and Spain fired him. And then Spain. Yeah. Was... Maybe the wording of the, the question I heard was who managed the club. I guess he kind of didn't, did he? Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what it was. Right. Okay. We're on to the who am I round. I think you might be gaining solace here. Hopefully you can get this on the first clue, Andy. You're on three at the moment. You can get up to eight if you get this on the first clue. Um, who am I? I'm born in London, 1947. I'm a former player who is more famous as a manager and started in that field at Bournemouth. And after greater successes elsewhere, had my recent spells to date with QPR and Birmingham. Oh, I interrupted you. I need you to say that again. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. So um, born in 47, former player, but much more well-known as a manager, started in that field at Bournemouth. And after going to greater successes with a number of more obvious names that I'm not going to give you yet, he then ended up at QPR and most recently with Birmingham for a short spell. He is a well-known name. Um, I think Bournemouth at the beginning is probably the bigger clue. And, uh, he was was, was he a manager at Bournemouth? Manager at Bournemouth, yeah. yeah. He, may, he may have played for them as well, but he was manager there, yeah. 
He likes the area. <laughs> so it was Redknapp? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear you say, right, yes. <laughs> it is Harry Redknapp. Yeah. yeah. I think I was busy rambling. I didn't hear you say, yes, it is Harry Redknapp. You've yeah. got the five to take you on to eight. The oh, other yeah. clues were going to be my other clubs as manager were West Ham, Portsmouth, Southampton and Spurs, which would have been the big giveaway. Yeah. My nephew is Frank Lampard. I'm a bit of a wheeler dealer was clue four. <laughs> That's an understatement. Yeah. And clue five was my son is Jamie, former player and current pundit. So you've got the five points. You made some ground up there. You got onto eight. You didn't beat my nine and a half, actually. But you no, are. In... I'm happy with eight, though. Even, <laughs> yeah. if, even if I get the points for Mary Redknapp. <laughs> it's lower that. mid-table. I did do it with a bit of a West Ham theme there. That one as well. <laughs> it's lower mid-table, which I think we'd be happy with the Albion getting, wouldn't we, as well this season? Absolutely. So, there we go. Well, thanks for taking part in that. Thanks for coming on the show as well. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we hope to get you back on at various points next season, perhaps, to give your excellent insight into matters on the pitch as well. You've got a good eye for the game. Um, it's been great to get you on. Thanks for coming. Um, so, for now, enjoy the hot weather. And um, I will speak to you soon, Andy. Cheers. Yeah, cheers, Russ. That's been brilliant. Thank you very much. Oh, good. Good. Glad you enjoyed it. All the best. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.